Welcome to the PropCast. My name is Louisa Dickens, co-founder of LMR Ray and board director of the UKPA, and I shall be your weekly host. Each week for 30 minutes, we'll be connecting the VCs, prop tech startups, and real estate professionals globally, and assist in bridging that famous communication gap we all love talking about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, Neil, and um, welcome onto the podcast today. And um, today's topic is real estate in the cloud. And thank you so much for joining us. Those who are not familiar with Neil Gamasa, we he is the vice president international of Yardi and board member of the UKAA, which is United Kingdom Apartment Association. Yardi is a leading provider of real estate asset financial and property management software. Yardi provides fully connected invest, um, investment, asset and property management solutions across the real estate value chain. That includes servicing fund management, commercial, office retail and industrial, residential, for example, PRS, build rent and the student housing market. Yardi is a privately held company founded in Santa Barbara, California. And Neil manages Yardi's operations across Europe, the Middle East and Asia Pacific. He lives in Amsterdam and has an undenying passion for innovation, technology, real estate, and the human spirit, and is known to stray out of bounds whilst on the ski slope. So welcome, Neil. I'm delighted for you to be joining us. Thanks, Lou. Um, yeah, delighted to be on the podcast today. And uh, wow, what, a, what an introduction. Yeah, well, no, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to have a few warm-up questions, answer of sort of one word, and just don't overthink it. So let's kick start with breakfast of choice. Eggs. Cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. What's your biggest strength? Optimism. Biggest weakness? Too much, of, too much to focus on. Yeah. Favorite musician? Ooh, that's a tough one. It is a tough um, one. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back a few days and say the cure. I like that. Okay, so if you weren't in a real estate, what other career or industry would you have taken? A ski bum. <laughs> I love that. Far. Okay, awesome. Well, look, um, Neil, let's, if you're ready, I would love to start the podcast. Awesome. Okay, so today's topic is real estate in the cloud, but let's kick start with I guess how Yardi, yeah, the very sort of beginning of Yardi. Um, so many, many people see PropTech as a thing that's merged in the past sort of five years. It's a buzzword we sort of keep on hearing. But Yardi's been around for decades. I think it was starting sort of, it was at 1980. Like what, what's, your, what's your sort of definition of PropTech now? Yeah, I think so. PropTech is, is an interesting term these days. I think at the end of the day, though, PropTech can be defined as innovation and another effort to create value for, for clients. So it's to be creative. And I think yeah. the, the interesting point, though, being is that there has always been innovation in real estate and systems. And now with the advent of cloud-based platforms, so both from a storage point of view, from a programmatic point of view, and the ability 
to have a lower distribution system in terms of making it easier to develop a program like an app, as an example, and distribute it to much wider variety. It's now more, it's easier than ever to, to develop something new yeah. and expose customers to it. And, and I think similar to other quote unquote ad industry term, insurance, legal, fintech, et cetera, ad tech to the end, and it kind of defines the, the last five plus years of just the amount of innovation that's going back into these vertical industries. Yeah. And I guess, how did you first get into this, into this industry then? How did you, I guess, where did your sort of career sort of first start? Yes. My, my career first started uh, working for a company in California called Zircon. And it's, for, for many, it's not a, a company that people would recognize but way back when, when laptops could not connect to networks and they were more like little suitcases, Zircon, <laughs> believe it or not, developed the first manner to connect a laptop to a network through a parallel port, i.e. the printer port. And so this was before a Wi-Fi, before onboard Ethernet, before modems. And, and so that's how I started my career in technology and then uh, moved across to Asia and helped set up the business across Asia and Australia for uh, Zircon, which eventually was bought out by Intel. And then over a period of time, joined Yardi about 10 years ago to, to help further increase the size of the operations and the focus across Asia Pacific. So that's, yeah. it's kind of been an interesting ride over the past uh, 15, 20 years. And what is what was it like sort of getting into sort of real estate technology? Like, you know, constantly I'm, I'm sort of attracting people from different sort of sectors. How did you sort of make that sort of transition? Yeah, the interesting thing about real estate for me is that everyone is exposed to it, right? So we might not know the terminology as to how an investor speaks about real estate, but we're all born into real estate, right? So in a hospital or in a home, we grow up in real estate. You know, we, we, we study and, and, and rent apartments. So we go to restaurants, we go to malls, and, and at some point in time, we may buy our own real estate and, you know, make or lose money, but it's all very familiar to us. And what, what attracted me into the, to the industry was it's very logical in terms of mm. why one purchases real estate and how kind of the capital flows of how you need to make money off of it, how you need to maintain it, how investors invest in it and build it and sell it, et cetera, over a period of time. But what attracted me to it was just this idea that one could do it better. Yeah. And, and Yardi, who, Anant Yardi, so Yardi is actually the surname of the founder and Anant continues to be um, the president and the owner of, of Yardi, grew out of a, a small California garage type of a story in Santa Barbara. So not too differently from your Hewlett Packards and your other groups that have innovated. And over the past 35 years, Yardi has grown into really the largest global provider of real estate software solutions for the marketplace and along the way has continuously adapted through different technology trends and innovation trends. And, and that to me was just a really strong basis to further be able to increase the servicing and, and being able to support international markets. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting over the past 10 years. I was going to say it must be, so it's one thing sort of, I guess, learning, I guess, a whole sort of new space, but also growing various sort of markets like you have. Was there a market which you sort of went into, which was like the toughest and, you know, what, why, why was it? I think a, a tough market for us initially was the Middle East, as an example. So 
between the period of 2005 to 2009, there was just a tremendous amount of people building assets, um, whether it was residential assets, office towers, retail malls, et cetera. But very little focus was being put onto asset management. And so asset management really being the term as to how to effectively manage those assets um, over a period of time and ensure that they're taken care of, et cetera. And in 2012, after the global financial crisis where the market in the Middle East collapsed really, and as it did in many other markets and got reset, over the last five, six years in the Middle East, it's been an amazing market for us. And we now have over 80 people in the Middle East because the market itself has really seen that asset management is so core to what they do in every sense. And so that's been one of those markets where initially it was very tough, but we had patience, we invested, we built a team, we put in infrastructure, yeah. and it's turned out to be a very strong market uh, for us. I think yeah. what, what our view and our vision is, is that it's very tough to support international markets without being invested in that market. So it's it's building the right team, it's making the right investment structures, it's understanding what what how the market works locally, and and those are long term investments that require capital as well as the right team to be able to manage them. Yeah, we sort of we've worked with obviously startups and sort of larger software companies as they sort of get into new markets, and I guess that's probably a huge reason why Yardi, you are one of the you are one of the leaders. A big issue. Um, or challenge which a lot of businesses I work with, I guess, come into is all about hiring to sort of the right teams and trying to attract that sort of talent in these new markets. Where, where would you say in the, in the SaaS space, where would you say the biggest skill shortage is? And what, I guess, what, how, do you, how do you yourself attract, um, attract the right talent to sort of Yardi, whether it's like coming from the financial service, like, yeah, how I guess how have you and your business dealt with it? Yeah, well, people at the end of the day are really the foundation of any business, and and so I think getting building the right team, having the right culture is is super important, and I think we've done a good job at that by balancing a few things, and I think the the first thing is making sure that we take care of our employees, so ensuring that they have the right compensation packages, that they have the right healthcare packages that we support them in, in all of those type of ways. I think what's important as one looks at individuals though, is to ensure that, and certainly what something that I look at as we hire is people who have passion. And I would say is intellectual curiosity. So someone who's mm -hmm. always interested in learning more and to a degree questioning why things are done and questioning why we can't help our clients or how we can help clients differently, right? And, and helping have that curiosity then really helps individuals within our team be thought leaders and, and trusted sources back to a client. But I think going back to culture, the other things that are important to us is making sure that we take care of our clients too. And, and so not only employees, but taking care of our own clients. And in the case of COVID-19, it's an example of it's more than just a business relationship. It's a long-term partnership with our clients and our clients go through ups and downs. And it's important that we take that into account and we support them through tough mm. times. And then a really important part of what we do too is support the communities that we live and work in. And so every office within Yardi has an amount of charitable givings that the local teams then are able to, to nominate charity organizations in the different markets. And 
in, in the UK would be a great example by which, you know, we focus our givings on to whether it's food banks or, or dis- disabled children, et cetera. In Australia earlier this year, we donated about 300,000 Australian dollars to two organizations fighting the fires and everyone that wow. was affected in the Australian markets. And I think that balance between, you know, focusing on our team, focusing on our clients and focusing on our community is a really balanced approach to creating the great type of work environment that our employees can succeed in. Yeah, definitely. I guess it's just ensuring that I guess for some slightly earlier stage businesses, it's like, when do they get to that point of sort of putting that sort of structure in place? But obviously I know from, I guess, working and sort of working with you as a client and when I'm sort of painting the picture of what life is like at Yardie, a lot of talent seems attracted to it. There's not that many businesses like Yardie, which provide that whole sort of culture. Obviously you have sort of targets and it is, you know, you have to do your day-to-day job, but it's the bigger picture of what, people are now sort of looking at it. it's not just the whole sort of day-to-day it's like what is the working culture like what is management like what else does the business provide to like society which is sort of awesome to see as well I guess that's definitely where you can say competitive in the space um, yeah I think that it's important to remember too in terms of you know charity giving as an example doesn't have to be in monetary terms uh, it can be in terms of events that the team takes place and whether you're a team of three or four or you know, a startup of 10 people, the ability to give back to the community and raise awareness for community needs, I think is an important bond that, that team members can relate to and also that the community um, feels valued by. I think the other point that I kind of like to highlight too is that individuals that we hire generally are not focused on title. Mm. I.e., you know, so as I interview individuals and, and as, as they're more concerned about title, so individuals who are more concerned about title, how big their desk is, how much office space they have as an individual, <laughs> you know, all that seems like a bygone era. But it surprises me how often that that becomes a bigger component of the conversation. And those type of individuals generally don't, don't uh, succeed through the interview process with us because we know that they're not going to be successful as part of the team. Yeah, you'd be surprised at what sort of conversations I have with some candidates, some who are, you know, I know they could do the job, but they have a few questions like, do I get a standing desk or do I not get a standing desk? Like, (laughs) am I going (laughs) to, and you know, they're like, basically want to be head of markets within God, like, literally a matter of sort of months. And it's like, look, you've got to have a proven track record. I'm sure these businesses, we know you will reward, but it has to be off the back of sort of good work and performance, but whether that's like individual performance, team performance, like all these things. And it's crazy how some candidates need to be educated like that, but you can't train someone to think like that. And then for a business like yours, I do think you have to be a sort of team player. Like that's why people buy into the whole sort of like yardy sort of family culture as well. It's just personality, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it takes people sometimes forget in the very good times, and I'll define the good times when there's just rapid growth, and it seems like anyone, something, anything that someone touches turns into gold, right? Mm. People need to be reminded that it takes time to build up businesses and the solid businesses that last, right? And I'm not talking about businesses that last 50 years because those are really hard to find, and in fact, the odds are against almost everyone, but businesses that can survive for five or 10 years. And there's been so much focus on innovation and prototype these days of having a better mousetrap that either looks and feels better today, but there's no longevity to, to the platform. There's no barriers 
that to to entry from someone else copying it and and to a degree there's no willingness to play and to pay in terms of creating value that someone is able to then provide to a customer and then how much you know what's the willingness for a customer to pay on an on a recurring basis so that you actually have a business that's viable moving yeah. forward and i think sometimes those things are forgotten when rapid innovation comes around and we've seen this over the last five or 10 years, and certainly 20 years ago with the, with the dot-com bumble, as we saw that too, where valuations were outrageous, but again, there wasn't willingness to pay on a long-term basis, and, and many of those companies did not survive. It didn't mean that the technologies weren't relevant. In fact, the opposite. If we look at in terms of what was kind of the initial ideas of marketplaces, the additional idea of online transactions, the additional, you know, more digital type of processes online and through smartphones, all of yeah. that was thought of back then. It just took time for the right pieces of either infrastructure or technology or banking regulations, what may it to, to come into alignment for someone really to take advantage of all the, all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. You've, met, you've mentioned earlier about the, I guess, the various markets which you sort of expand into, all the sort of sectors of sort of real estate, which seem to be sort of never ending, which Yardi's growing into, where it's sort of, PRS, which is obviously built rent, which is just going, obviously it's, it's growing massively. Are there any other sort of areas of expansion for sort of Yardi that you have um, planned? Is it top secret or what's the, uh, I guess, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, so it's a good question. Um, absolutely top secret. So I can't answer any <laughs> of these questions. No, I mean, an area that we're, we're very passionate about and have a lot of focus right now is the build to rent sector in the UK and Ireland. And albeit the market is still smaller in terms of purpose-built apartments that are institutionally held, but provide an end-to-end experience for a resident through the application process, through kind of the community building process, and be able to do, to manage kind of their, their relationship with others in that apartment building to renew leases, make payments. That's a, that's a very big focus of ours, and we've built up a sizable team. And it's been interesting in terms of all the learnings that we have in North America based on the volume of market size. And, and of mm-hmm. course, the UK and Ireland have, have differences in terms of how they need to operate. But that digitization of the end-to-end process is just really uh, interesting to us. And then I would also say co-working in a flexible office space. And whereas flex space isn't new, um, because business centers have been around for a long time, and the UK is one of the largest markets globally that has just this established history of business centers and flex and co-working spaces, et cetera, and just a number of leading operators. What is new, though, is in terms of more corporate occupiers looking at flexible space to dominate their working environments. And I think COVID, the, the, the COVID-19 situation in terms of people working from home have thrust any organization now to need to have a methodology for the majority of their employees or all of their employees to working from home. Mm. And I think that this then creates this unknown impact as to how much space will corporate occupier need in the, in, in the future? How do building owners and operators and developers manage through these different occupational type of space needs and requirements? And, and that will shape lots of opportunities for innovation to take place and new technologies and new thought processes. Yeah. And then the other, just to, to add maybe an additional part, France. So France is a big focus for ours, uh, for us right now, for the food, the wine and Provence, 
but uh, <laughs> uh, because we see demand. And so, you know, so we've established an office and an entity and we've got people on the ground. And so that's kind of our latest real focus area on a European uh, point of view is to further build up a, a sizable team in France to both support our existing clients, um, which are many, but to, to help really that, that next phase of innovation uh, yeah. in terms of digitizing real estate in France. Yeah, we've we've got a few clients in um in Paris. It's a tough market to get into. It's a market which a lot a lot of businesses want to get into. How I guess how you sort of found that? Well, I think the 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 strength needs to be is to not try to service a international market like France from London as an example. Mm-hmm. You need to build a local team. You need to be committed. You need to localize. You need to you know again build up a local Force. And I think as, as, as we've done across the last 40 years, and in particular over the past 15 years, is we now have operations in, again, France and Germany and the Netherlands and the Middle East and India and Singapore, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Shanghai, Sydney, Melbourne. And so much of this, this focus has been is to make that investment by which then the local market and, and local owners and operators of real estate feel more comfortable partnering with you. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you always get it right, but the commitment of a local presence is a, is a huge part of, of that statement, but it's hard to do if, if you're a startup. Yeah. I think there's also this, there's various sort of associations and sort of communities which you can join, like obviously your board member of the UK, UKAA, obviously you're part of the UKPA. There's obviously all these associations and all these countries and it's, I think it's so important for people to sort of get involved in it, meet the people who are leading it, because these associations are sort of there to connect people, do whether it's, I guess, now doing sort of online webinars, what can you learn from, what can you learn and take from it to sort of, I guess, help you get involved and sort of grow in that area. And I, I often don't think people um, use these associations enough, like the people who set them up want people to communicate through these, through these associations, but... You know, a lot of people just sort of join and, you know, I've seen obviously Yardi, you've got involved. I think you spoke in a webinar with the UKPA last week. I know you're very sort of active with the UKA. Well, what are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, I think associations um, are hugely important. And I think that it's like any partnership, though. It's easy to join, but you only get out of it what you put into it. And yeah. again, people often forget that, too. And so we heavily support organizations, whether, you know, some of the ones that you named, so the UKAA, we were a founding member of that, and, and that uh, the UKAA is an offshoot from the North American Apartment Association, mm-hmm. really focused on helping educate and create value and in the industry around build to rent, because it was really not present um, to the same degree. And, and so that's been a really interesting process over the past uh, few years. But then other organizations like the British Property Federation, the UK uh, um, PropTech Association, all of these are really valuable. Then you have other groups like UNISU who are helping kind of connect a lot of PropTechs and and other individuals in terms of from an overall membership directory point of view and other initiatives that, that James and the team are doing. That's really interesting to us, too, because, again, it makes the world a smaller place. Yeah. uh, But you need to you need to participate and become active and, and help add value to those communities as much as participating in them. Yeah, there's so many webinars and, and white papers, and but I'd encourage anyone who's interested in the space to 
to participate in not only those associations, but anyone who's interested in, in, in property per se, there's just a number of, of newsletters and, and websites that you can get free information. And it kind of, it goes back to that intellectual curiosity. What kind of drives someone to learn? Yeah. And, you know, the example that I give maybe selfishly is that when we moved to Amsterdam four years ago from Hong Kong, we were shopping, the family and I were shopping in a shopping center, and I thought to myself in my geeky nature, <laughs> I wonder which platform the shopping center uses to manage them all. And uh, I later found out that it was a competitor, so we haven't been back. No, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of like it's in terms of if you're, you want to be passionate about the business that you're in, is every individual really optimally needs to think like that in terms of where's that next opportunity? How is mm. someone managing a process today, whether it's how do you manage your, you know, your employees and your corporate tendencies? How do I make the experience better? How do I connect people and add value during that process? Yeah. So obviously we've, we've spoken about different sort of markets, I guess, bringing in sort of new talent, looking at different sort of parts of sort of real estate. With some various, I guess, new emerging technologies or sort of some fairly early stage startups in the sort of software space, how are you going to say sort of top of the tree um, with these new businesses coming to the market? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that on, on one side, our goal is to grow the business gradually. And, and so we may not always be the first to market with the latest technology because we want to give some thought in terms of really the value proposition and, and whether we, this will work for our clients. But the level of innovation happening in the market is just tremendous. And, and so what we generally find is that we'll, we'll innovate in an area and then over a period of time, we'll kind of consolidate our thoughts in that process. And an analogy that I sometimes like to use is Apple, in that these days, everyone thinks that Apple is the most innovative company. And to a degree, it is. But if we look back at technology, they didn't invent everything. And a few examples to that would be is they were not the first company in the cloud. They did not develop the smartphone. They did not develop the MP3 player. They did not develop a handheld device with touchscreen interfaces. They did not develop an online music store initially, right? So all of these things were developed by other groups. Apple just made it much better. And one of the ways that they were able to do that was the user experience. So the platform was easier to use, but it was also fully connected. So Apple um, had strict guidelines in terms of kind of its ecosystem, which made the end-to-end -end interaction with someone who was on a device, as well as in terms of the security around it, programming languages and others to have a fully connected ecosystem was really something that's driven success for them. And I think Yardi in many ways is, is similar to that, that thought process too. So obviously with the new sort of players coming to the market, what, what, why do you think there's been sort of so much, I guess, so much growth? And is this, I mean, we've got, God knows how many uh, new players are on the market. Is this, do you think this growth will sort of continue? It's like, there's a, you're obviously doing something right. <laughs> so there's definitely a big enough space for more, more businesses to sort of come into it. But why do you think there's been such a sort of surge in it? I think the surge has been because capital is cheap. Investors have seen both family offices, individuals, and, and, and other in, individuals or entities, institutions investing in, in quote-unquote, the term prop tech, is you've seen a few, quote-unquote, exits, and you've seen a number of, quote-unquote, unicorn uh, type of valuations. And so there's a lot of money being thrown at it. Mm. That's kind of number one. And so that generally creates entrepreneurs, 
right? So this combination is, does the capital create the entrepreneur or does the idea create the entrepreneur and in essence, the capital um, that then follows. But I think the base again is that if you, if we look back 10 years ago, it was much tougher, the investment to, to develop a new product, a software product or, or, or platform was much more expensive and harder to do because storage costs were expensive. Programming costs were expensive. So processor costs were expensive. Distribution channels were tough. Smartphones really didn't exist in, in, in many ways, right? And all of that's changed, right? So now you can go to whether it's the Google Cloud, the, the Amazon Cloud, the Microsoft Cloud, or a number of other clouds and get really inexpensive processing power storage. And then through distribution channels, i.e. online stores, whether it's the Apple Store or the, the Google Play Store, it's much easier to then distribute new products, whether it's a free product or something that you charge for. And then finally, in terms of just the programming languages that allow someone to develop a great user experience is much more simple now than it was 10, 15 years ago. So I think all of those things have attributed to just the number of different startups in, in the field. Yeah. I think what's interesting to me, though, is that how many are successful? Mm. And for every 50 startups that launch every year, there's probably by the end of the year, there's probably 90% of them, maybe an over-exaggeration, that are on fumes within 12 to 18 months. And you've seen that in the UK. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that the, the next amount of capital doesn't go into the next startup that has a better idea and they've learned. I think that's happening, right? So it's just the recycling of the capital and the emergence of entrepreneurs that are pivoting to create something new. But it's tough to then determine which of these prop techs are going to be successful and have longevity beyond, you know, one or two or three years. I think that's the biggest challenge right now. Yeah. And so if we look at what, what does the future of SaaS in this current climate look like to you? I think, I think the question of will applications be in the cloud or not, that ship has sailed. I think that, you know, the market is gone down a SaaS model. I think there's lots of different definitions as to what the cloud and the SaaS, and SaaS models mean, right? And, and an example of that would be is, is data aggregated? Does an individual have a single tenanted platform at a database level? Is the application multi-tenanted, et cetera? So there's lots of different variations of that. The reality is though, for those organizations that are still focused on, I want an on-premise solution because I'm scared of my data mm. and security. I think that those organizations to a large degree are hugely underestimating how well, their data is protected, number one. And number two is in terms of how they ensure that in an event that their, their core data sets go down or even in a, in a home environment now, we've seen that organizations that have on-premise solutions, it was just a, a really tough journey for them to be able to overnight move to a work from home environment because of all yeah. the different challenges with technology. Yeah, so I think the, the cloud will continue to grow. I think there's just huge investments by, by the, the industry at large. I think the big question will be is jurisdictional data requirements. Yeah. So increasingly, whether it's things like GDPR or, or other regulations that restrict where data can reside. And, and I think that's something that individuals need to think about. And then also GDPR obviously introduces just a ton of additional legislation, but more importantly, 
controls that both the data processor and the data controller in GDPR speak need to be able to validate that if someone wants you to delete the data that you may have captured from them over a period of time, that you can do so and validate that you have across all of the different data points by which you may hold that data. Yeah, I've gone to various sort of talks and sort of data, data governance, and I'm definitely going to be doing a, be doing a sort of an episode on the power of data. And it's the difference in legislations across every single sort of market. You know, it's completely different how it's sort of who owns the sort of control of it in the US compared to sort of over here. And I guess how it will change over the, the years to come. But Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the PropCast this morning and also learning more about real estate in the cloud. You shared some really incredible insights and it's been great to learning about, I guess, how Yardi has transformed over the years and I guess how it will continue to grow from strength to strength in the future. I guess ultimately how it will sort of affect the way, I don't know, the real estate world. And I've got one final question. Okay. It's a little warm down question. That's all right. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Before you sort of get back to your um, working day. Um, okay. You are allowed to invite three people to your dinner party. We're talking, this is going to be the ultimate dinner party thrown by you. Three guests could be anyone. Who, who would they be? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> that is a tough one. You, can, you keep on throwing me these, these curveballs. Um, I mean, in, in this day and age of lockdown, it could just be three friends, right? So who I haven't yeah. seen in a long time. But uh, true. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I guess on that side, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it to that. I would say my, my brother, my sister, and my parents who all live in North America. So I'll kind of keep it family oriented on that side rather than giving a more maybe intellectually curious answer in terms of which politicians or historians or musicians that I'd like to have dinner with at some point. Yeah. Oh God, I didn't know how intellectual mine would be. I'd probably ask for the queen to come and a few other rogue characters to keep things sort of spicy. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have to then ask in terms of where, where they would all get together. So No, exactly. And uh, yeah, my um, culinary skills aren't answer the top. I've definitely been developing them <laughs> during the sort of lockdown, but it's never good when your mum gives you a cooking for basics cookbook <laughs> at Christmas. But hey, we're here. We're all here to sort of learn and strive for more. But honestly, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you have, do you have any sort of questions or anything sort of more to add? Lou, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. It's been a really enjoyable time and loved our chat. For those of you interested in finding out more about Yardi, you can find us on the web at www.yardi.com. I think this has been uh, really insightful and have really in, enjoyed it. So thanks so much for your time, Lou, and all the best to you and the team at LMRE. So awesome. um, have a fabulous week. Awesome. Well, look, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the PropCast, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Sounds great. Thank you for joining us this week on the PropCast and a big thanks to our special guests. Make sure you visit our website, www.nmre.co.uk, where you can subscribe to our show or you'll find us on iTunes and Spotify where all good content is found. Whilst you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate if you could rate and review us on iTunes or if you simply just spread the word. Be sure to tune in next Tuesday and I'll catch you later. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast.
Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.